afraid of the dark. That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> Hi, this is Daniel Foytek. I create and produce The Lift along with Cynthia Lohman. And I just wanted to take a quick minute and say thank you for a new review that we got on iTunes. Comes from 666Halo. And the title is Sweet, Informed, Unwavering, and Committed. That's Victoria. Sometimes a soft heart, should she feel you have some hope, will be shown to the soon-to-be-guilty suffering. The Lift will feel you, decide your fate. Little precious Victoria will show you the way. To face that sometimes uncanny dark hallway to and trails off there because that's the way the show works. You never know exactly what you're going to face whenever you get into the building. It all depends upon who you are and what your fate is. The review continues on with, I am quite the lover of this genre and truly appreciate the production and professionalism. Rock and company for the chills. My spine thanks you. Keep it up. The great work here at the Manor House. So thanks for taking the time to review the show. We do appreciate everybody that takes the time to leave a star rating and review the show. Those help us get noticed and get more listeners into the show, which means we can continue to grow and do other really cool things for you. And now let's go for a ride. This is Gwendolyn Keist, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, Storks and Candy, the perfect treat for kids of all ages. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at GwendolynKeist.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at VictoriasLift.com. Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, there was a place that became lost. Became lost. It is a place where story and substance combine. Where the reality of story shapes thoughts. Where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your face. The little girl in the red gingham dress sneezes, and the rabbit, with black eyes always watching and waiting for an opportunity, escapes her arms. Its white fur looks like a bolt of lightning as it streaks across the paper backdrop and scampers off the set. I roll my eyes. Can someone please get that thing? A gaffer in a dark smock flails down the hall and yells out the rabbit's name, which is something like Cottontail or Cotton Bale or another similar and equally ridiculous moniker. I sigh and think how I'd rather be anywhere, on a beach, in a cabin, en route to the gallows, rather than sitting here at this damn casting call. But it's almost Easter and Storks and Candy needs to choose this year's spokesmodel. Without our annual campaign, 
commercials and full-color print ads featuring a cute, rosy-cheeked moppet who holds a white rabbit and smiles above the perfect-for-kids-of-all-ages slogan, the company would go straight into the red. Under the bright studio lights that make me feel like a cake in an oven, I kneel near the little girl in the dress who's sitting on her mock. Next time, Mandy. It's Maddie. She pipes up. Maddie. Next time, Maddie, try to hold on to Cotton Bale, will you? It's very important you do what we ask. Because if you can't do your job at an audition, then we certainly can't trust you on a real shoot. Okay? (laughs) The little girl sniffles and nods and tries to hold back tears. That's all these kids have been doing today. Sneezing and crying and letting the rabbit loose. I pull my junior executive friend Seska aside. The casting call said must be able to handle rabbits, didn't it? Yes, Jake, she says. It said must be able to handle rabbits and must not be allergic to rabbits. Behind us on the set, the little girl sneezes again. Are you sure? I ask. I wrote it myself, so yeah, I'm sure, Francesca says. But they're all eight and nine-year-olds, Jake. They're not lion tamers, they're children. You can't expect too much. The gaffer returns and hands Cotton Bale back to the little girl. Another sneeze and the rabbit's on the loose once more. I motion to the nearest set assistant. Just send in the next girl, will you? Yes, Mr. McMiller. They parade dozens more children through the studio. Before it's over, I make another three of them cry. Get them, and they're blubbering out of here, I say, and somebody always escorts the girls away. Though we see a hundred pint-sized actresses, not one comes close to the storks in vision. A child is pale as snow, with hair to match. Francesca shrugs. I thought the last four were very good. I scoff. They weren't bad. But they weren't blonde. Now it's Francesca's turn to scoff. Just because all of Storks and Candy's past spokesmodels have been blonde doesn't mean it always has to be like that. It's tradition, I say. It's exactly what it means. My great-grandfather founded this company during the Depression, and that was his vision then, and it's our vision now. Tradition, Francesca. You should learn about it. How about we learn about a new tradition and hire someone who's different than... I slam my fist against the backdrop, and it rips in two. We don't need someone who's different. We need someone who's perfect. Nothing more, nothing less. Perfect. The others, the gaffers and the grips and the best boys, don't say anything for a moment. Then Francesca breaks the silence and laughs. That candied giggle of hers gliding through the air... Like she's in on a joke that none of the rest of us understand. Why don't we hire all the children? Still smiling, she pops one hip. Just hire every single child we saw today. There had to be at least one blonde in there somewhere. And why (laughs) would we hire all of them? Because, Francesca says, moving closer to me, the campaign could use a little diversity. Storks and Candy is supposed to be for all kids. Why use one little blonde girl when we can use a little blonde girl and all the rest, too? 
I grit my teeth and start drafting her termination letter in my head. That's a sweet notion, Francesca. Really, I say. But we're not running a charity here. In case you haven't noticed, this is a business. And each year at Easter, our customers expect a blonde girl with rosy cheeks and a white rabbit as our spokesperson. And that's what we're going to give them. I just don't see why we can't let's not forget our numbers, I say. We were down 10% last quarter. I won't tolerate that slip-up again. Under my recommendation, the crew agrees to another casting call. Whatever you need, Mr. McMiller, they say. All except Francesca. She follows me to my office down the hall, griping all the way. We have a real opportunity to do something different, she keeps saying. Yes, and that something different will lose us revenue. So that's it, she gapes at me. It's all about the money. (laughs) I laugh until my belly aches. (laughs) What else is there? I ask. Francesca glares at me through drooping flecks of black eyeliner. Her makeup, meticulous this morning when she arrived at work, has melted beneath the heat of the studio lights, and she looks like a kid at Halloween who tried and failed to apply her own witch makeup. I don't think you're being fair, she says at last. And I don't think your opinion matters, I say, and arrange a stack of papers without looking at her. Until you're an executive in my position, you don't get to make these kinds of decisions. With a huff, she storms away, but stops suddenly when she reaches the doorway. Her gaze cast over her shoulder. A strange smile forms on her lips. You just wait, Jake. You'll get what's coming to you someday, and you'll be sorry then. I sit up a little straighter in my chair. Is that a threat? No, just a prediction, she says. One I'd be willing to bet on. With that, she vanishes, and I listen for her heels, an incessant plick, plick, plick down the hallway until she reaches the lobby and exits through the front door. I'm alone. Even the custodial staff has gone home for the evening. All the lights except for the one in my office are turned out. About time I had some quiet, I murmured to myself. But the silence unnerves me. It burrows under my skin like a scarab beetle. Nerves, I tell myself. Silly nerves and nothing more. Anyhow, I have things to do. It's time to finish the books for last Christmas season, and that's always fun. I relish counting up the sales. 10,000 chocolate bars, 75,000 lollipops, 100,000 candy canes. The Storks and Candy Company has done well. I've done well. Even better than the other executives I know. Might as well take a few extra dollars. Can't possibly hurt anything. Seeing as how I did all the hard work. I'm the one in the office after everyone else has gone home. Here alone, toiling away. This is mine. It belongs 
to me. Through the darkness, something shuffles outside my door, and I stop counting figures. Francesca? I hesitate, waiting for a reply that never comes. Are you back here to pout some more? Because it won't do you any good. My mind's made up. I pretend to go back to my paperwork, but I can't focus. Not when I can hear that something in the hall breathing softly. Inhale, exhale, and I hear something else, too. Like a hand pressed over a mouth to stifle a giggle. Francesca, I'm not in the mood for games. Next to my desk, a shadow appears on the wall. The shape looks like a little girl with pigtails and bunny ears. Who is that? I stand suddenly, and my chair topples over behind me as I stare into the hallway. Who's there? There's a giggle, (laughs) one that's no longer muffled, and the shadow retreats. Come back here this instant! I rush after the melody of that laugh, but I find no little girl in the hall. Instead, situated in the center of the mottled carpet, sits a white rabbit licking its paws. Gaffer, I cry, though I know there's no one left on set to hear me. Come claim this creature this instant! The rabbit peers up at me, and with a twitch of its nose, it hops down the hallway. I don't know why but I follow it. That's when I see that shadow on the floor just up ahead. The little girl. There's a little girl leading us along. Who are you? I call into the darkness. Where are your parents? No response, except another giggle. (laughs) I stop, wondering if I should turn back. But no, something tells me to keep going. If you're from the casting call, I say, I'm sorry you didn't get the job, but that's the way it goes in showbiz, huh? When I turn the corner, I see her there. She stands in the elevator, holding the rabbit and grinning, a devious grin. But this isn't one of the earlier actresses. This is someone new. Someone I only wished I could have auditioned. A flash of blonde pigtails and rosy cheeks. The elevator closes. Wait! I cry out before I can stop myself. Wait! You'll be perfect! I race to the elevator and press the buttons to call it back. The doors open in an instant. But the girl and the rabbit aren't there. What the... I step inside and search every crevice, the corners, the ceiling... I even check for a secret escape hatch in the walls. Nothing. Yet somehow, the elevator is different than I remembered it. Older. More. Rickety. And there are no buttons. My hands search along the walls, trying to find a hidden panel. To no avail. Next stop, the fourth story. A little girl's voice says, and the doors slide closed. Hey! Wait! I kick the walls and holler for Francesca, for the grip, even for Cottonbale, to get me out of here. Of course, no one answers. I'm alone. So I press my back into the corner 
and the world reconstitutes around me. The elevator lurches to a stop and the doors slide open. And I creep into the hallway that extends in front of me like a ribbon of blackness. It's dank and unwelcoming. Pipes exposed along the ceiling. Wallpaper peeling from the plaster. This must be some kind of maintenance floor. I know nothing about the maintenance of this building except that it exists, so... I suppose there could be some strange elevator that leads to some strange part of Storks and Candy Company. The Janices have to keep those mops and brooms and other cleaning supplies somewhere. I'll have to yell at someone about this tomorrow morning. The little girl stands at the end of the hallway, Rabbit still squirming in her arms. Hello again, she says. I smile the best I can, but even I know it's not convincing. The way the corners of my mouth twitch like that rabbit's nose. Hello, I say, the warble in my voice trying to sound friendly. What's your name? She smiles back at me. A smile that would be perfect plastered on a billboard or captured in a commercial and blasted on the television and computer screens around the world. I'm Victoria, she says. Hello, Victoria. I glance around the hallway, searching for her parents. They're the ones I need to sign the proper release forms. My name is Jake McMiller, and I'm... I know who you are, she says. And I know what you want. You're looking for the perfect little girl to represent the Storks and Candy Company. Yes, I am, I say. Do you like candy? Victoria looks down and kicks the floor. Maybe... I reach into the pocket of my suit jacket and offer her a week's old chocolate I have hidden there. In a flurry, the golden foil wrapping falls to the floor and Victoria gobbles down the bonbon, flecks of cocoa smearing her lips and cheeks. So, Victoria, I say, circling her like a vulture over a rank carcass. Where are your parents? They're dead. I sigh. This is going to be harder than I thought. Well then, who's your legal guardian? I kneel next to her. Because you see, Victoria, it's important that I meet whoever takes care of you. I want to make you a star. I don't need your help with that. She smiles. I'm already a star. In my own way, anyhow. Not the kind of star I could make you. Don't you want your name in lights? She scrunches up her nose. I prefer the darkness, she says. Besides, I wouldn't want to help you anyhow. I roll my eyes and start pacing the hall. This is already becoming tedious, and we haven't even done one on-camera take yet. But she's exactly what Storks needs if this Easter campaign is going to be a success. Patience. Just a little more patience. And I'll convince her. And why wouldn't you want to help me? I ask. Because I know what you did. I stare at her, studying that strange expression on her face, which is rapidly transforming from the smile of an ordinary little girl into the grin of something else. Something monstrous. And what is it that I did? You changed the numbers, she says brightly. Just little squiggly lines on a page, you said. 
No big deal if you scratch out this one and erase that one and then move the extra money into your bank account. I advance on her and take hold of her arm. Who told you that? Who are you talking to? Did Francesca put you up to this? Giggling again, Victoria wrenches away from me and strokes the rabbit, her hand moving back and forth over its soft coat with an almost malevolent elegance. You should put the money back. I laugh. Only if you put the candy back. What candy? The chocolate I gave you, I say. If I have to give back the money, you have to give back the chocolate. That's not fair. You offered me the chocolate. No one offered you the money. But you took something for nothing, just like me. We're the same. I don't think I like you very much, Victoria says as she sets the rabbit on the floor. It hops toward me, sniffs my shoe, and then recoils. I want to kick it, kick it into the wall, but I refrain. Victoria will never acquiesce if I do that. I don't think it matters if you like me or not, I step closer to her. I think you're my next spokesmodel. She edges away. If you try to make me, you'll be very sorry. But I have to do my job, I say. And that job is to find a little girl like you. I grab her by the pigtails and drag her toward the elevator. I expect her to cry or scream out. But she only giggles again, as if my manhandling her is all part of the game. You have to do your job. Victoria says. And I have to do mine. She wriggles from my grasp. And a door, one that wasn't there when the elevator first arrived on this floor, opens next to me. Goodbye. She says and turns away as I fall into the darkness. Inside the room, I can see nothing. There is no one here to keep me company. Not even Victoria. I am alone. But perhaps not quite as alone as I'd like to be. Sometimes, I feel the gentle pelt of a rabbit that brushes against me. But when I reach out my hand, it turns to smoke and vanishes. There's something else here, too. In... Far away whispers, the Storks and Candy Company is with me. With Jake gone, I hear them say, we need to move on and declare a new executive for his position. I try not to listen when they announce Francesca's name. It doesn't help. I hear her take the podium all the same. I'm so glad to assume this position, she says. There are going to be changes around here, and I promise... Those changes will benefit everyone. Who does that? Who gives an acceptance speech to co-workers when they get a new job? It's not like she's winning an Oscar or something. She wastes no time launching the new Easter campaign. Come on, children. Her voice ricochets off the darkness, and I imagine the smile is blazing as the sun on her lips as she herds the kids together for their close-up. No tears this time, someone says, and the executives and gaffers and grips laugh. 
laugh at me or at least the memory of me. In the gloom, I groan and ache and pull at my collar. The temperature keeps creeping up, one excruciating degree at a time. It reminds me of something. It's like the searing heat of the studio lights. It's like that, only it's worse. Much, much worse. And that omnipresent giggle and the shadow of pigtails don't help either. Enjoy your stay, Victoria says, and I plug my ears to blot her out. But it doesn't help. She's always with me now, and she always will be. Today's episode featured a story by Gwendolyn Keist. Storks and Candy, the perfect treat for kids of all ages. If you'd like more information on Gwendolyn and her work, you can find her online at GwendolynKeist.com. That's K-I-S-T-E. You can also find her on Twitter at Gwendolyn Keist. Artwork for today's show is provided by Trisha Martin. You can find Trisha on Twitter at Trisha Kitty. You can also find her on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Trisha Martin Art or facebook.com forward slash Midnight Me and Bob Macabre. If you head over there, you can find a link to their Zazzle store where you can get t-shirts, mugs, all kinds of cool stuff. And of course, you can buy the book, which Trisha illustrated. This episode was scored by Kim Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. You can find them online at cathedralsounds.org and on Twitter at Cathedral Sounds. Cathedral Sounds is also providing the score for a project we're trying to get funded over on Kickstarter by Shadows at the Door. Now, Shadows at the Door is run by Mark Nixon, and you may recognize that name because he wrote three episodes of The Lift. He wrote one of the pilots called The Homage, He also wrote What Are Jelly Babies, which was the Halloween episode for this year. We call it episode zero because it came right before the season started. And he also wrote Why I Take the Lift. So if you'd like more information on that project and how you can help get it funded so that I can narrate it, you can find more information if you go to shadowsatthedoor.com. If you want a direct link right to the Kickstarter, an easy one that I threw together real quick, is shadows.ninthstory.com. Today's narrator was Daniel Foytek. That's me. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com S1E11. Over to you, Victoria. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. 
please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen at victoriaslift.com or at Society13, coming soon to Google Play. Follow the show on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitezi of We Talk of Dreams. For more information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Vortic. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lawman. Music director, Nico B. Tazy. Art director, Stephen Matico. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of STRY Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is an STRY Radio and Night Story Studios production. The show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump. Listen, the M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.